The Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book One, Plan B Revised. Chapter 12, Captured as Looters. You two just stop right there, or I'll blast you, so help me I will. Martin and Susan put their hands up. The roller bag clattered onto the path. Uh, mister, we didn't mean any. Shut up, you, hollered the angry man as he took a few careful steps toward Martin and Susan. He was muttering to himself. I knew them low-life scums would be coming. She said I was nuts, but I knew. Dang massholes. I knew they'd become sneaking up here eventually. Well, I was ready for them. To Martin, he yelled. What did you do to my rabbits? Nothing, sir. We just came through the woods and— Ah, so you did come from Mass. Oh, I knew it. I knew you lowlifes had come sneaking up here. Soon as your precious little system collapsed, it was only a matter of time. Now get out here in the yard, both of you, and don't try anything or I'll blow a hole in you. He waved the barrel of the shotgun and pointed to a spot in the backyard. Martin tried to walk slowly to keep himself between Susan and the angry man. As he walked closer to the man, Martin got a far better view of the muzzle than he liked. Hmm, 12-gauge Mossberg, he thought. Rifled barrel. Slugs. <laughs> oh, great. Now, both of you, lie down on the ground with your hands where I can see them. Go on, lay down now. Martin knelt down, then Susan. It was not easy to lie down without using one's hands. Keep your hands out. None of your stinking tricks. I'll shoot you where you lay. The man's voice had a nervous tremble to it. Martin lay facing Susan. She had a worried look, and rightly so. Sorry, he whispered. Don't do anything to shut up. They laid on the ground for what seemed forever. The man with the shotgun continued muttering to himself as he paced back and forth. Now what am I going to do with these two? Can't just shoot them in cold blood, even if they are a bunch of thieving looters. It'd be easier if they made a move on me. Then it'd be like self-defense. Martin saw Susan's eyes get a little wider. Can't just let them go, neither. They'd go back and tell their gang about that old softy on the back road that's got the rabbits. No, no, they'd all come back here in big numbers. These two'd be telling them how I had guns and how I defended my place. They'd put two and two together, and they'd figure that I had lots of good stuff worth defending. That's how they think, dang looters. Uh, we're not looters, Martin said. Quiet, the man hollered. The man resumed muttering to himself. Yeah, now what do you do with criminals when there ain't no law? Slave labor? Yeah, maybe. Mm, nah, not that much to do around here. I don't fancy feeding a pack of slaves with little to do. Yeah, they'd run off first chance they got anyhow. Too much trouble. The man continued to pace and mutter. He was the dog who finally caught the car he was chasing and had no idea what to do with it. Not daring to move his head, Martin moved only his eyes to check out a crunching sound that came from beyond the house. He caught a glimpse of a faded red station wagon pulling into the driveway. It disappeared from view behind the house. After the car door creaked and slammed, a woman's voice called out, Lenny, are you out there? I'm in the back, Pat, Lenny hollered. He did not relax his aim and continued muttering, 
She, she didn't think they'd come, but this'll show her. I tried chopping at Shaw's in Plasto, said the woman, but people there were just going nuts. A dowdy woman with short gray hair rounded the corner. She gasped, ah, Linwood Farney, what on earth are you doing? I captured me some looters, Pat. Caught em red-handed, I did. They were sneaking up on our house, coming through the woods, but I saw em. I was watching. I've been monitoring our perimeter ever since things went down. And this right here is why. I told you they'd be coming, didn't I? It was only a matter of time. Looters, Pat said slowly, with wonder. After what seemed like an eternity of an awkward silence, Pat stooped down for a better look at Martin. "'We're not looters, ma'am,' Martin said. "'We're just trying to—' "'Shut up, you!' Linny kicked dirt at Martin's head. He got his eyes shut just in time. "'How do you know they're looters, Linny?' Pat asked. "'They look like plain folks to me.' "'Bah! Looks don't mean nothin'. You think looters always wear striped shirts and masks and carry canvas bags? Looters is looters. This is just like I told you. As soon as things went bad down there, there'd be a horde of these mass holes crossing the border to loot and pillage our supplies, cause they was too stupid to— Pat cut him off with a wave. I know, Lenny, you've told me, but how do you know these two are a horde of looters? Ah, they got some loot right there. Check out that guy's backpack first. Then that bag over there. Lenny waved the shotgun barrel at the roller bag. Probably got all kinds of stuff they stole from other people's houses. Pat squatted down and began to look through Martin's backpack. Socks, a torn shirt. Oh, a laptop is in here. See, didn't I tell you? Stealing computers. Dirty thieving. That's my laptop, Martin said. I told you to shut up. Hold on, Martin interrupted. I can prove it's mine. Just open the cover. A little white box will come up in the middle. Pat opened the laptop. Now type K-R-O-N-O-S-1957. A looter wouldn't know the password for a computer he just stole, would he? Pat held the laptop in one arm and pecked out the password. Oh, hey, pretty pictures, she said. I just love mountains. See? Martin turned his head toward Linny. He squinted, expecting more dirt to be kicked at him. Okay, so that's his computer, grumped Lenny. Don't prove he ain't looters. Maybe he uses that computer to hack into people's security systems. Could be that, you know. What's in that other bag? Check it out. Probably stealing people's pre-64 silver, or their ammo, or maybe their food. Pat squatted down, unstrapped the bundles, and unzipped Susan's duffel bag. There's no silver in here, or ammo either. I just see sweaters and pants and ladies' underwear. She held up a bra. Linwood, do you really think they're going around stealing ladies' underwear? Lenny lowered his shotgun. How am I supposed to know what people are stealing, woman? I ain't no reader of the criminal brain. Maybe they're perverts. Oh, Linwood, hush, snipped Pat. You're just getting silly now. She stooped down beside Susan. So, uh... Who are you, honey? Susan turned, keeping a wary eye on Linny and his shotgun. My name is Susan. This is Martin. We're not looters, honest. We didn't mean any harm. We're just trying to get to Cheshire. Yeah, ask em what they are doing in my woods, uh, back by my rabbits. Go on, ask em, shouted Lenny. 
Okay, okay, replied an irritated Pat. She turned to Susan. You're both a long way from Cheshire. What were you doing back in our woods? We were trying to walk to Cheshire from Boston, you know, because the power outage, and we got chased into the woods by two really bad men who we think might have killed some people. Oh, my, exclaimed Pat. They chased us into the woods, but we hid, and they lost us. We got away, Susan said. We came out of the woods at your place, added Martin. Load a hooey, said Lenny. Can't thrust no mass holes. Martin rolled slowly onto his side, hands held out in plain view. Look, sir, I am not a mass... Uh, I'm not from mass, okay? I live in Cheshire, lived in New Hampshire for many years. Here, check out my wallet. He slowly pulled it out of his pants pocket with just his thumb and index finger. Lenny had one eye behind the bead, ready for any sneaky moves. Martin held out the wallet. We work in Boston. We were stuck there when the power went out. We've been walking home since Monday. Pat opened Martin's wallet and studied his driver's license. Oh, Linwood, you old ninny, you didn't capture any looters. These are just poor folks trying to get home. Well, how was I supposed to know, huh? They come traipsing out of my woods from mass all sneaky-like, violated our perimeter. All sneaky-like, Pat mocked. You're so fired up for looters and zombies that you'll be shooting at shadows. We can't take no chances, woman. This is serious. There's gonna be trouble. Big trouble. You'll see. Them city people are gonna be swarming up here looking to steal food or whatever they can cause they was too stupid or lazy to prepare. Yes, yes, I appreciate how you're protecting our little home, dear, Pat said diplomatically. But these two aren't your swarming horde of city people. They're just a man and his wife trying to get home. Susan blushed slightly, but attempted an agreeable smile. Martin gave Susan a little look to say, go with it. That's, uh, that's right, just trying to get home, Martin repeated. He minced his words so as not to lie, technically. He was a New Hampshire resident, but Susan, being a Massachusetts resident, was going to be an inconvenient truth, best avoided at the moment, if possible. Could we get up off the ground now? Martin asked. Oh, of course you can, said Pat. Lenny backed up a step, but kept the stock at his shoulder. Linwood, Pat scolded. Her husband reluctantly lowered his shotgun. No hard feelings, Martin said with a smile. Simple misunderstanding. We'll just gather up our stuff and be on our way. Martin slung his backpack around so he could push the loose clothing back in. Pat handed him the laptop. Susan reassembled her bundles while keeping a careful eye on Lenny. It'll be lunchtime soon, Pat said cheerily. Did you two have any lunch plans? Uh, no, ma'am, Martin answered. He was taken aback by the sudden shift from being a prisoner to a dinner guest. Actually, we uh, haven't had much to eat for the past couple of days, he said. Ah, then you must be famished. You should stay and have some lunch. Pat seemed almost giddy at the opportunity to be a gracious hostess. I started a big pot of soup this morning. I'm sure it's done by now. How about if I pour you both a nice big cup of soup to help make up for Lenny's, um, enthusiasm? Pat stepped toward the back door, motioning for Martin and Susan to follow her. Lenny stepped between Martin, Susan, and his house. They ain't coming in the house, woman. Ain't no one coming in the house. That would totally blow our opsick. No one's gonna recon my defenses and scout out my preps. 
Pat cut him off with a wave. Oh, fine, fine. I'll bring the soup out to the picnic table. That be okay. Lenny grumbled, turned, and stomped back to the house. I'm sorry my husband was a little rough on you. He's really not a mean man. This outage has him spooked pretty badly, though. He was certain that hordes of desperate city folk would come streaming up from Mass since Y2K. After the elections and the crash in 08, he was certain that the country would go to pieces in a few months and hordes would be coming through our woods. Now with this outage being so widespread, oh, he's all on edge again. Well, I can understand, Martin said. Things have been going a little crazy down there since everyone's lost power. Yes, well, they can go crazy later, after you've had some soup, eh? There's the picnic table over there. You go have a seat. I'll just be out in a few minutes. It's already hot. She turned and scurried into the house. The screen door smacked shut behind her. Martin and Susan sat on the same side of the picnic table, so they could face the house. They kept a wary eye on the door. Lenny was not as inconspicuous as he imagined, peering at them from the kitchen window. Susan spoke in a half-whisper. "'Mr. Varney is a doom people, isn't he?' "'It would seem so,' said Martin. "'Doom people are so weird. "'Maybe he's just a bit too enthusiastic, like Pat said. "'One of those people who are so ready for trouble "'it doesn't take much of a boo to make them jump.' "'Susan nodded. "'I'm getting pretty familiar with Jumpy.' Seems like whenever I say to myself, I've never been so scared in my whole life, something even worse happens. I've decided I have to stop saying that. I've got to say, Martin said quietly, old Mr. Varney did have me worried. I noticed he had his finger on the trigger the whole time. I was afraid he'd flinch out of nerves and blast me by accident. All I could think to do was lay totally still and hope he'd calm down. I couldn't think of anything. My mind went blank. The screen door creaked open, and Pat backed out. She carried a mug in each hand. Here you go. Her voice had a musical tone of a grandmother dispensing cookies. Thank you, Susan said. I hope we weren't an inconvenience, you know, eating your food and all. Ah, oh, nonsense, assured Pat. We have plenty. I'm sorry the biscuits aren't ready. I wasn't expecting guests. Well, this will be just fine, Martin said. He sipped the hopped soup from a spoon. The salty broth eased his chills. It felt great to chew boiled carrots, potatoes, and diced meat. A hot meal is magical medicine. Susan was devouring her soup, too. I am so hungry, said Susan. This has to be the best chicken soup I've ever had. Oh, it's not chicken, said Pat. It's squirrel. Susan stopped in mid-chew. She shot a glance at Martin. Oh, please don't spew, Martin thought. Please don't spew. She held his eye for a couple of seconds, then resumed chewing and swallowed. You don't say, she said in a sing-song voice. Oh, it's true. There's a different spice or something in there, Susan continued to play the good guest. Martin realized his mouth was hanging open. Oh, you're probably tasting the dill, Pat beamed as she sat down next to Susan. I put in a little dill and lemon juice. It takes away any of the gamey taste. Not that they get gamey. Linwood's really good at cleaning them. He's always saying, why should we eat our rabbits when we got meat growing on trees? Pat laughed at her impersonation of her husband. Pat peered into Susan's empty cup. Oh, you must be starving, you poor thing. Would you like another cup? 
Susan looked like Oliver Twist as she handed Pat her cup. If that's all right. Of course it's all right. I'll be back. Pat took Martin's cup, too, and shuffled back into the house. Squirrel soup, Susan said. I thought it was dark chicken meat. From the look on your face, I thought you were going to spray it all over. Well, I have to admit, I started to gag, but then I thought that would be really rude, considering how nice Pat was to give us something. You talked about eating squirrels. Then I asked myself if it really tasted weird or not. I had to admit, it was actually a pretty good soup. Add to that, I'm really hungry. But what was that whole spices thing about? Susan waved off his comment. No, oh, I don't know spices. Salt, pepper, garlic sometimes. I was just being the gracious guest. Martin glanced around the Varney backyard, trying to be careful not to look like he was looking around. Lenny, with binoculars, was poorly concealed in a bedroom window. Martin did not want to appear to be reconning their spread. The long garden flanked the house and the driveway. Most of the plants had died back or been cleared. Many rows of cornstalk stubble hinted at a recent harvest. They had their meat rabbits out back and plenty of trees for firewood. The Varneys have a pretty nice setup here, said Martin. Oh, it looks a little dumpy to me. Don't look around, Martin said out of the side of his mouth. Mr. Varney is watching us. He continued, looking only at his spoon. Oh, sure, the house and buildings could use a little TLC, but they have a nice big garden over there. And he has a winter's worth of wood laid up, Martin gestured with his eyes to the several cord of firewood split and stacked beside the back deck. He's got some sort of small-scale solar thing going on with a couple of panels on the roof. We know he's well-armed. you think? Martin chuckled. It was easier to laugh afterwards. So my guess is that the Varneys are pretty well situated to handle this outage. Do you think he's right? That there, there'll be hordes of hungry people coming up through the woods like we did? Well, hordes, maybe, but through the woods, yeah, not so much. That's a lot of work. Tell me about it. I figure most people, the hordes, tend to be creatures of habit and take familiar paths of least resistance. I figure they'll follow the roads. The Varneys are set so far back here, we can't even see the road. Odds are, most of the horde will pass them by, looking for something obvious. Oh, that would be good. Pat's nice. I like her. Well, what about Mr. Varney? Martin teased. Susan scowled at him. He needs to be less weird. Pat used her rump to push open the screen door. Sorry I took so long. I had the dough rising while I was shopping. I just put a few in to bake. I just took them out of the Dutch oven so they're kind of hot. She set a mug and a biscuit in front of them. While he finished his soup, Martin gave Pat a quick summary of their trials since leaving downtown. He was trying not to sensationalize, but Pat kept inserting with a periodic, Oh my! You two have been through so much, Pat said. I wish I could just drive you two back home to Cheshire, but Lenny would be furious with me. He's all strict about no unnecessary trips and trying to conserve our gas. I know he's right and all, but, but still. Pat stood up quickly. Her eyes brightened. She turned her back to the house. Oh, I have an idea. You two get your things together and set off walking down the driveway. Turn left onto the road. She gathered up the empty cups and spoons. 
then said, rather louder than necessary, "'Well, good-bye, you two. Safe travels.' She waved exaggeratedly and let the screen door slam behind her. "'I wonder what that was all about,' Martin mused. Susan shrugged. They carried her bundle down the long dirt driveway. They had walked only a few yards down the pavement when Martin heard the crunch of tires on gravel. A car was coming down the Varney's driveway. Pat's red station wagon lumbered out onto the pavement. Pat pulled up beside them and rolled down her window. Hop in, you two. We gotta be quick. Martin motioned for Susan to sit up front. He muscled the roller bag into the back seat. I had to run to the store, Pat said over her shoulder. We still need a few supplies that I couldn't get them from Shaw's. I figured I could give you two a ride up as far as Harstead. Uh, thanks, Mrs. Varney, Martin said. This helps a lot already. Oh, you can call me Pat, and you're welcome. I wish I could drive you two all the way home, but Lenny would have a fit. I'm only supposed to go to the store and straight back. No wasting of gas. Well, it's good to conserve what you've got, said Martin. Might not get any more for a long time. I suppose you're right, said Pat. But we're not hurting for gas. Lenny's been storing cans of it in our basement for years. Must be twenty of those five ga— Pat clamped her mouth shut. Her eyes grew wide. Oh, dear, I'm not supposed to have said anything about that. Oh, Lenny says it'll ruin our appsack, or something. Please don't tell anyone, okay? He would, oh, he would be so cross with me. Oh, we won't, assured Susan. But you do have to be more careful, Mrs. Uh, Pat, Martin said. Gas is hard to come by already. Most people won't conserve and it'll run out pretty quickly. A few people might turn nasty, trying to get more. We've seen some of that nastiness coming out already. Best not to let anyone know what you have. Susan chimed in. Your husband is a little weird, no offense, but he's right to be careful. The two guys who were chasing us were definitely not good people. I know, dear, I know. I just wish he had a bit more manners. Oh, shoot, Pat said as they approached the intersection. Hannaford's is just as mobbed as Shaw's was. Oh, look at that. People are parked all along the highway, too. Somebody's pulling out over there. Susan pointed up the road. Y you could park there. No, honey, it's not just the parking. I don't think I want to go in there. It looks a lot like Shaw's. That was a madhouse. People pushing and shoving, running up and down the aisles. Right in front of me, two women were pulling each other's hair over a box of minute rice, of all things. I just left. I wanted nothing to do with such craziness. I'm going to try a different store. Hopefully it's not going to be such a zoo. Pat turned out onto the highway. I would have thought that you and your husband were pretty well stocked up already, Martin said. What are you shopping for? Well, that is, if saying so won't compromise your opsec. I don't really understand his opsec thing, Pat said, so I have no idea. Truth is, I'm hoping I can get a little more cooking oil. Martin waited for more items on her list, but none came. The, that's it? Just oil? Susan looked puzzled. I thought you were going to say fresh veggies or something. Why oil? Pat gave a little embarrassed smile as she turned onto a side road. Heh, well, I blame my mother for that. You see, she was a girl back in Germany during the war. Her family lived in the country, near a little town named Wieserbronn. 
things got terrible lean for people, especially late in the war, to where they were eating mostly turnips, which is what they grew for the cows to eat, or bread made with sawdust. Mom's family had it better than the city folk, since local farms grew the grains. What they couldn't get, though, was cooking oil. You need oil for just about every kind of cooking, but it was nearly impossible to get, even on the black market. Well, after the war, my mom married an American soldier, my dad, and moved to the States in the early fifties. She used to tell my sister and me how she could not believe her eyes that American shops had gallons of cooking oil on the shelves and, and no one was rushing to grab any of it. Pat laughed. Oh, but Mom did. She always had several gallons in her kitchen at least. She would never throw away bacon grease and render down beef fat. Her advice to me growing up was to always have lots of cooking oil when I got married. You can grow grain, Patty, she used to say, but you can't grow oil. Your mom sounds like an interesting woman, said Susan. Oh, yes, I loved my mumu a lot. The trees and old homes that lined the road gave way to a triangular park with a few stately old maples still decked out in flaming orange. On one side of the common stood Town Hall, a big white building in a mixture of ornate styles from the latter 1800s. Beyond the trees rose a tall pointed steeple. A few squarish colonial buildings painted in earthy tones also faced the common. Such large houses were once the homes of prosperous residents, doing double duty as inns and taverns. The common probably looked the same for over a hundred and fifty autumns. The third side of the common broke the antique mood. A brightly painted gas station asserted the crass dominance of the twentieth century. Flanking the station were small shops attempting to look as colonial as a limited budget would allow. Modern clutter of newspaper boxes, parking signs, and advertising posters filled all available gaps. Pat pointed beyond the gas station. No, that's better. Center Market has cars in the lot, but it doesn't look like a mob scene. Maybe only a few of the locals know about this store. Pat pulled her big red station wagon into the parking lot of a modest grocery store set back from the road. There were many cars parked already, but she found a space pretty quickly. Do you think they'll check IDs? Susan asked. Pat looked confused. Martin leaned in between the seats. Tried to shop at a store down in Stoneham, but the manager said people had to have a local ID. Hmm, I have no idea. That would leave me out, too. Well, let's go see. There was no manager with a bullhorn outside the store. There was no line. People were coming and going with small bundles under their arms, but there was no pushing or shoving. When Martin got through the glass doors, he felt like he had already beaten a tough level of a video game and leveled up to something totally new. He half expected a heavenly chorus or a beam of golden light from above. There was no beam of light, more a chorus. The interior of the store was dim. Daylight from the street front windows didn't carry far. A hand-lettered sign announced that purchases were limited to $20 a person, cash only. A hawk-faced man sat on a stool at the checkout station. Huh, we're actually inside, Martin said. I didn't think we'd get this far. I just realized I don't know what I want to buy. It's looking kind of picked over here, too. You might not have much choice, Susan whispered. I'm going to go look for my treasures, Pat said cheerily. Thanks for the ride, Pat, Martin said. 
We really appreciate it. I'm glad I could help. I hope you two get up on to Cheshire. You're all right. I'm sure we will, said Susan. We hope you and your husband will be okay, too. Oh, you're such a dear, Pat said, laying a hand on Susan's arm. Well, I'm off to do what my mumu told me. With that, Pat shuffled off into a dark aisle. Coleman camp lanterns in the far corners of the store provided just enough twilight to navigate the aisles, though not enough to read the labels. Dark silhouettes of other shoppers drifted through the aisles. Martin used his flashlight, as the other shoppers did, to survey the shelves. There wasn't much to survey. He gave Susan his other flashlight so they could split up and search faster. The bottled water shelves were completely bare, as were the shelves for juices and sodas. Promotional placards taped to the edges of the shelf announced what was no longer there. The bakery shelves were cleared, too, leaving only a few empty cardboard display boxes. The boxed cereals were gone, except for a few ruptured boxes. Very few of the flakes or Cheerios remained on the shelves from the ripped boxes. Someone must have scraped up the spillage to take home. The canned soup dial had several cans, but they were missing labels. Placards announced a sale on Denty Moore canned meals, but there weren't any. I was hoping we could pick up something easy to eat for the last leg of our walk, Martin said as he met Susan. Easy to eat seems to be the hardest hit. I've been looking for easy foods, too, said Susan. There's no breads, no cereals, no soups, unless we want to play mystery meal with those labeled-less cans. The produce cases are empty, no fruits or veggies. There's no cookies or crackers of any kind. I even look for graham crackers. Nothing. The next aisle looked promising. At least the shelves weren't empty. It was the stationery and housewares aisle. Air freshener, dish soap, pens, calendars, greeting cards. An older man pulled the last bag of barbecue charcoal off a bottom shelf. There's some pet food left, said Susan. Mm, I'm not quite desperate enough for that yet. Are you? Martin asked. She squinted and shook her head. There were still jars of mustard, bottles of ketchup, and barbecue sauce. Hey, look, Susan reached up. A jar of olives. She set it back down with a chuckle. And New Hampshire's locusts don't like the olives either. Martin chuckled, too. While Martin was moving an empty display box on the shelves, a small can rolled out. He snatched it up before it fell. Ah, oh, Vienna sausages. What's that? You've never heard of them? Well, they're like little hot dogs, but weird, he said. Sounds like you don't like them. Oh, they're, they're not terrible. I just got really tired of them as a kid. I made the mistake one time of telling my mom that I really liked them. All that summer she would be buying me cans of Vienna sausages as my summer snack food. I was never so eager for school lunches to start. Still, it's the only thing we've found so far that we could eat on the road. It sounds like your mom wanted to make you happy. I know. Moms are funny that way, though. After I connected the dots on the endless supply of Vienna sausages, I told her that I really liked Captain Crunch. Yeah, it didn't work that time. I still only got that once in a blue moon. Susan laughed. Oh, that's funny. My mom was the same way. No way. You got Vienna sausages, too? I thought you hadn't heard of them. No, 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 no. I've never heard of those. For my mom, it was owls. Once I told her I thought this picture of an owl in a book was really cute, 
She must have figured, oh, she loves owls. For years afterwards, I was getting owl sweaters for Christmas, owl knick-knacks from yard sales, owl birthday cards. I was getting kind of tired of owls, but I didn't have the heart to tell her. I knew she meant well. Martin and Susan made their way to the checkout counter. Martin set the can of Vienna sausages on the black belt. I didn't see a price on this, sorry, Martin said. It just came rolling out from behind a box. That's okay, said the hawk-faced manager. He studied the can. This would be aisle four, left side, uh, third shelf. Hmm, the man muttered to himself, eyes closed as he imagined his inventory. These were a dollar twenty-nine. That'll be a dollar twenty-nine. Martin was surprised that he didn't say five dollars. Oh, uh, and this, too. Martin pulled the jar of olives from his pocket. You kept those, Susan said. Uh, aisle three, right side, top shelf, uh, 2.29. Why did you get those, she asked. You said yesterday how you wished we bought that jar back at Andrews, remember? Uh, yeah. Then you said it again today, so I decided to buy you the next jar of olives that I came across. Martin presented her with the jar like a trophy. Here you go. No more olive regrets. Now you have your very own jar. That'll be three fifty-eight, said the manager. Martin fished out his cash, handed over four badly wrinkled ones. Doesn't look like you'll be open for business too much longer, eh? Martin said. Nope. Pretty well cleaned out. The manager jotted down the transaction in a notebook. You missed the biggest day yesterday. It was a store owner's dream, I tell you. Place was packed. Of course, I usually get a shipment every morning, but Monday was the last one I got. By the end of the day yesterday, we were out of most everything. He scooped out a few coins from an open register tray. Here's your change. I'm surprised you found that little can there. Meats were the first thing to... No, no, actually water was the first thing. Then batteries, uh, then the other drinks. But meats were right up there. Uh, they went fast. Sounds like we were lucky to get this little guy. Martin rolled the can in his fingers. Guess we should savor it, huh? Well, thanks. Martin and Susan waved to the manager as they stepped back out into the bright of day. They walked out onto the long, winding road up toward Cheshire. Susan regarded her little jar of olives. That was very thoughtful of you, Martin. Martin could feel a blush coming on. He coughed and fussed with his hat. But let's not let this become like the owls, okay? I'm still not that fond of olives. Martin chuckled. <laughs> okay, deal. Deal. 